0: Please turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 23 for our first reading, beginning with verse 3. This is what God told His people. In the Old Testament era, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you, But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. Next, I would ask that you would turn to Ruth chapter 1 in your Bibles. Ruth chapter 1, God recorded this for us. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Chilean died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be My people, and your God, My God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to Me, and more also, if anything but death parts Me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Thus far, our Old Testament reading. Please turn now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 for our New Testament lesson. We begin with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Aminadab And Aminadab the father of Nashon, And Noshin the father of Salmon. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of of David the King. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's bow before Him in prayer. God our Father, we do quiet our hearts and bow before You because we believe that You have the words of eternal life. And these are Your words that we have read this morning and we wish to understand them, that we might find life from Your hand. We pray for insight and understanding that You would expand our vision of Jesus and of Christmas. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing in Your sight. Help us to see Jesus more clearly this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. If you subscribe to the newspaper on Sunday, if you go home and pull out the comics, there on the front page are Blondie at the top. And Prince Valiant on the bottom, Sunday after Sunday. When I was growing up in the Chicago area, in the Chicago newspaper, I always would reach first for the Sunday comics. And there always on the comics was Dick Tracy at the top and Lil Abner at the bottom. Now, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember Little Abner. Today, it probably would not be allowed as being a little bit not, uh, not politically correct. But it was a satirical piece. It was set in uh, rural, rural, rural America in Dogpatch, USA, and it was about a hillbilly family as they encountered modern life, but it really was a satire on modern life as seen through the eyes of this hillbilly family. And one of the regular characters in Little Abner, for those, how many here know the comic strip Little Abner? Well, there's some of you. There's even some younger ones of you that know. It last stopped the printing in 1977. Some of you aren't old enough to have been around when it was last in the newspapers. But anyways, for those of the... That you know, you will know that there was one regular character that kind of wove in and out. He wandered in and he wandered off, and his name was Joe Pfft. Now you laugh, but that was his name, Joe Pfft. It's, according to Al Cap, the cartoonist, that is how you pronounce B-T-F-S-P-L-K. And Joe Pfft would wander in and he would wander out, and the thing about Joe Pfft. I guess his name sort of was indicative of the life he lived, but wherever he wandered, there was this dark storm cloud that always was right above his head. And he would bring disaster to himself and anyone else that he happened to encounter. That was his burden. And so people liked him, but they didn't want anything to do with him because his life was such that no matter how hard he tried, he could not escape the troubles of this dark cloud over his head. Have you ever felt like that? Like no matter how hard you try, you just can't escape the troubles of life? Have you ever wondered with Naomi maybe that maybe God is against you? And God has cursed you? that you just can't escape. Maybe it's from circumstances beyond your control. Or maybe, you know in your heart of heart, it's you just have this tendency to keep making bad choices. But you just can't stop making these bad choices and you feel pretty desperate. Desperate. But the truth is that life is de- depressing and a struggle, and you're discouraged. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody that you know. And their trouble just seems never-ending. It's easy to get impatient with them. They say they're trying, but it just doesn't seem like it, and, and so you're attempted to avoid them. and and may even begin to despise them for the way that they just seem to suck all the joy out of life whenever they show up. Because it's always about this trouble or that trouble and they always seem to stir up trouble wherever they come. What hope is there for this kind of person? What hope is there for you if that's how you're feeling today? If you think you are that person? We've been looking at the genealogy of Jesus with which Matthew introduces his gospel of the account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Now while many people when they encounter Matthew and open to the first page and they see this long list of names, they're tempted to skim right through it to get to the birth where things begin to get interesting We have seen over the past few weeks that this is not just a list of names of Jesus' human ancestors. But rather, Matthew by careful construction is using the genealogy not only to demonstrate Jesus' birthright as the Savior Messiah, but that he uses the genealogy to actually begin proclaiming the Gospel that will be revealed with the coming of Jesus. Anchoring the genealogy in Abraham and in David. The two great covenant figures of the Old Testament era. Shaping the list of names into three groups of fourteen when it's clear that there are some names that have been omitted. And highlighting David alone of all in the genealogy as the king make clear that Matthew intends for us to get a particular message from the genealogy itself before we ever actually get to Jesus. It is the inclusion of the names of five women, however, in the genealogy that has focused our attention these past few weeks. Women were not highly regarded in those days and they were rarely included in genealogies. That five would be listed in an obviously shaped and shortened genealogy screams for our attention. What does Matthew intend for us to understand? What does he want us to know about Jesus? What do these women teach us about Jesus and the Gospel? They aren't even the wives of the great patriarchs Sarah or Rebecca or Rachel and Leah. They're Tamar and Rahab and now today Ruth. These particular women display for us the grandeur of God's grace, the good news of salvation through His Son, the Lord Jesus. They may not be the people the kind of people that you or I hope to find if you go back in your genealogies. We'd rather look to the famous heroes and, and uh, wonderful humanitarians in our genealogies. We don't like all the scoundrels, but, but these women have a message for us. A message of good news that Jesus has come and that these women are part of his heritage. The mention of Tamar references good news for the sexually abused. The reference to Rahab identifies Jesus with a prostitute and a hostile alien. What a combination. And yet, both of these kind of people can have hope in Jesus because he has been identified with Rahab. And today we focus our attention now on Ruth. A woman that many of you are familiar with from the book of Ruth, which is a a very enchanting love story in the Old Testament. A short book, you can read it. I wish we had time to read the whole thing this morning. It's a delightful story. So much so that we can miss the fact that Ruth speaks to us. A message of hope for people who are despised and accursed. She alone, of the women mentioned, has an entire book of the Bible to tell her story and it ends up with her happily married and with a child. But because of our familiarity, we are overly familiar and we miss the fact that it is a story that begins with a very dark cloud hanging over it. A very dark cloud. Such as one that Job constantly endured with his life. The story begins with a dark cloud in its opening words. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled, we... The prior book, Judges, is a book of God's people falling apart, of turning away from God, of everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. The ending of the book of Judges is a horrific, horrific sexual crime. And so we're told that in the days when the Judges ruled, these things happened. In the face of apostasy and continual rebellion against God, this is when the events about to unfold took place. It tells us then that there was a famine in the land, and that a man of Bethlehem and Judah went away from the land to Moab. Interesting. Bethlehem means house of bread, and yet there was no bread, there was a famine. And rather than trust God in the midst of the famine, he left and he went to Moab. His name was Elimelech. The name means, my God is king. But he abandoned his king. He abandoned his place in the land of promise to move to Moab. And that was problematic and troubling on two accounts. You see, on the first, one's place in the land of promise was symbolic of one's place in heaven, living with God in fellowship with His people under God's care and God's protection. And to leave indicated a lack of faith that God really would care for and protect them. But even more... The Moabites were distant relatives of God's people born to Abraham's nephew Lot through the incest by his daughters after God had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And the people of God, as we saw in our reading from Deuteronomy, were commanded not to associate with Moabites to the tenth generation forever. Now the Canaanites, the, land, the people in the land where they were going, they were told to wipe them out. They weren't allowed to kill the Moabites because they were family, distantly speaking. But they were told never to associate with the Moabites because of what the Moabites failed to do in, showing, in not showing hospitality when they were on their way to the land of promise. the cloud gets darker because we read that Elimelech dies. And he leaves his wife and two sons in this pagan land. And then we read that the two sons actually go ahead and marry Moabite women. It was forbidden to marry the peoples of the lands out of a fear that they would drag God's people away from their trust in God. The Moabite god Chemosh was a vicious god and so was his consort Ishtar both um, obscene in their portrayal and in the way they ruled the universe according to the Moabites and then the two sons both died childless that too is is bad news in those days. Children were the future. They were your social security and your retirement. And now Naomi and her daughters-in-law have no husband, no sons to care for them. They're left all alone. And when Naomi determines then to... Returned to Bethlehem because she heard that God had brought food to the land. Do you notice that interesting thing? She says, girls, don't go with me because even if I married again I and had children right away, uh, you don't want to wait that long. Wasn't that kind of a funny way of saying you need to stay here? Well, you see, she knew that Ruth and Orpah as Moabites would not be received well by the people of God because God commanded that the Moabites shall not enter the assembly. He was freeing them to go back to Moab to stay in Moab where they could marry their own kind of people, but to go with Naomi, there was no hope. A dark cloud indeed. And so at... In verse 20 of chapter 1, we read, Naomi complaining when she gets back to Jerusalem, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She felt that God had it in for her. And she would never find relief. She was bitter about it. She was open about her bitterness. And then we read verse 22, So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Throughout the book of Ruth, Ruth is called Ruth the Moabite rather than just Ruth more times than not. More than half of the times, Ruth's name is associated as being a Moabite. It's clear that she is a woman that is accursed by her heritage. There's nothing she can do about it. That's who she is. How many of you are feeling that way this morning? That your life is cursed? That no matter what you do, it's going to turn out wrong? It seems that maybe God is against you? Dear friend, there's hope. There's hope for you. Because the same Jesus who permitted this identification of himself with Ruth, a woman accursed for being a Moabite, is the same one who drew Ruth to himself and the same one who included her in his lineage, that it might be known that Ruth, the Moabite, was accepted in the line of Christ. You see, over against the sense of living under the cloud of the curse of God is an amazing profession of faith in God. We see this in chapter 1, verse 16, where Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be My people. And your God, My God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to Me. And more also, if anything but death parts Me from you. She is not only binding herself to Naomi. She is binding herself to the God of Naomi. Your God shall be My God. And I will cling to Him just as I'm clinging to you. And she makes an oath to the Lord. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts us. She here is wholeheartedly devoting herself to the God of Naomi. Come what may. And she shows the reality of that faith when she immediately begins to act upon it, she accompanies Naomi back to Bethlehem. And when she gets there, she immediately goes out into the fields and begins to uh, gather what was left from the reapers. And as a Moabite woman, that was a very dangerous thing for her to do because the Israelites were not to associate with Moabites. She would not have been welcome. But she goes out for the sake of her mother-in-law and herself. They had no one to care for them. No one to provide for them. And this faith is a genuine faith. It's confirmed by Boaz himself in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This concept of under the wings of God to this picture of a mother hen guarding and protecting her chicks is used throughout the Psalms of people coming to put their trust in, in the living God of Israel. And Boaz says, this is what you are showing Naomi. She who was accursed has put her trust wholly in God in the God who told His people not to associate with her kind of people. But her faith was confirmed by Boaz. And Boaz, we are told in verse 1 of chapter 2, that he was a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. She had put her trust in the living God. That her faith was genuine, she had fully renounced any allegiance to Moab or the gods of Moab. She placed herself in the arms of the God of Israel. So important, you see. What made her from being an accursed one under a dark cloud to now the light starting to, to break through as she's noticed by Boaz and then later... In chapter 3, we see that she is embraced by Boaz and He promises to be for her a Redeemer. You see, from Ruth, we see not only that the way to Christ is through faith, the way of salvation, but it is in Ruth that we come to understand the way that God works out salvation for His people through a Redeemer. In verse 20 of chapter 2, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our Redeemers. What does she mean, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our Redeemers? Well, in Luke 25, God in the law says that after He apportions out the land to His people, which took place in Joshua, so that everyone who was of the family of God got their place, that if anyone over time lost their property or had to sell it because of indebtedness, that a close relative would be responsible to get it back for them, to pay for it. And if no one did, at the end of 50 years everyone's property would revert back to them because God had set apart a people and the land was a picture of heaven and their place in heaven and God would not allow any of His children to be lost or to lose their place. And so the purpose of the Redeemer was to more quickly reestablish people with their identity as having land and belonging, having a place in the family of God. The Psalms and the prophets use this same word to speak not of a close family member, but of God Himself. In Psalm 106, verse 10, we read, That God saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. In Isaiah 52, 9, the prophet says, Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people, He has redeemed Jerusalem. In Isaiah 43:14, this is what the Lord says your redeemer the holy one of Israel. What was visibly portrayed in the law through relatives and was then later figuratively appropriated of God in the prophets is actually realized in the birth of Jesus. In Matthew 1 verse 21 that comes right after the genealogy Matthew records that the angel came to Joseph and said that this child is of the Holy Spirit and you shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins by taking on flesh and blood Jesus entered into the human family and so he could be a redeemer, you see. He was the close family member. A redeemer, when they would redeem the land for the people, they would bear the price. That's why the one relative that was closer to a redeemer than Boaz refused to do it when he found out he also had to marry Ruth and provide a child for Elimelech. Which meant that once the child was born, he would lose the land that he would have redeemed. He wanted no part of that. But you see, Jesus didn't pay money. Jesus paid with His life, with His blood. Boaz gave up the right to that property when he married Ruth. Jesus gave up His life. Not just property. He gave up His life. He suffered the pains of hell that the sins of the redeemed deserved. And He left us as a memorial to supper to be a constant reminder and encouragement of the price that our Redeemer has paid to purchase for us a place in heaven. And by listing Ruth in Jesus' genealogy, you see, Matthew proclaims good news for those who are despised and accursed. Who would have thought that a Moabite could ever enter the assembly of God's people when God said they shall not? But Ruth put her trust in the very God who said, You shall not. She threw herself completely in faith, looking to Him. When it says that Ruth was part of the royal family of Jesus, it sticks out because Moabites weren't allowed in the assembly. But by faith in the living God, Ruth not only was allowed in the assembly, she became an ancestor of Jesus. Do not be so foolishly proud to think that you are accursed by the cloud of your own particular sin or circumstance. You can't remove it yourself. But God has appointed the Redeemer, Jesus, who can take that cloud from you. Place yourself, like Ruth, unreservedly, unconditionally in the hands of Jesus, the Son of the God of Israel. And you will find freedom. And you will find forgiveness. As Jesus Himself says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christian, have you grown weary with that one whose life seems to be a total train wreck? Who is constantly beset By bad circumstances or bad choices? Could it be that part of your weariness with that person that is so hard to handle is your own failure to remove the cloud from them or your frustration that they can't remove the cloud themselves? Have you forgotten that none of us can remove the cloud of sin, but only Jesus? our Redeemer who came to take away the cloud so that that which could not be a Moabite in the assembly of the Lord would not only be firmly in the assembly but in the very line of the Savior. Thank God that He sent His Son Jesus into our world to remove the cloud of sin and despair from all who trust in Him. Job could not help himself and neither can you. But Jesus, He is the Savior. He will remove the cloud of all who put their trust in Him. There is good news for the despised and the accursed. A son of Ruth has come. Look to Him who has come in the flesh as your kinsman Redeemer, as He is displayed in the sacrament, as you feast upon Him in your hearts by faith, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank You for Your amazing love and ask that You would work in our hearts greater compassion for those that struggle with depression and despair. We pray that You would work in our hearts to remind us that we cannot fix ourselves, that we cannot remove the clouds from our life, but that Christ has come for that very purpose. That He paid a price not of money, but of His own lifeblood for those who trust in Him. And so we pray that you would give us faith to see the wonders of the amazing love of God. The same God that brought Ruth into the royal family is the same God that can bring us and secure us in that family. For you have made Jesus to be our brother. He has been made like us in every respect except for sin. And then He poured out the price of our salvation, His own lifeblood, that we might have life and joy in Him. And He has confirmed that by His resurrection from the dead so that He ever lives as our Redeemer. And so we come to You now in His name praying as He Himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.